Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He takes being cook to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. Do the best you can for your child. And you look around for support and there's nothing there. Just get up and do our best today and that's all you can do. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I don't know how many people are listening to me that have home heating oil as opposed to gas for their heating or electric rads or whatever. Um... You're not going to be too pleased with this news coming from government that the VAT on the lecky and the gas is to be cut with the home heating oil. No, uh, they say they can't. They say it comes under this derogation from Europe. And it would seem, that's what they tell us anyway, it would seem that if they were to cut the VAT on home heating oil, that it would be against European law. That's what they say. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I don't know anything about European law. That's what they say. So the gas is going to get cheaper with the bad cut, slightly. Same for the lecky. Um, but your home heating oil, not so much. And you have the carbon tax coming in, in May on top of it. I wonder how many, I don't really know how many people are listening to me this morning that have home heating oil. God knows if anyone's listening that burns turf, you're in even more trouble um, in the next few months, but that's that's how it is. 0818 96 96 96. Coming up this morning, how big is your family? There was a time when a family of seven was an average. Now there's, in the world of celebs, I know, in the world of celebs, Alec Baldwin's Mrs. Hilary is it Hilaria is her name she has just announced that she's pregnant with her seventh child and there's been a bit of a pile on accusing her of wrecking the planet I mean what? accusing her of wrecking the planet for having seven children don't ask don't even ask alright 0818969696 but we start with a massive massive news story that broke yesterday during the show, the Kinnahans at one point were just your ordinary criminal lowlife, selling and dealing drugs around the streets of Dublin. Lots of other criminal lowlife selling and dealing drugs around 
the streets of Cork, Dublin and Cork and Galway and Limerick. But now the Kinnahans are a billion euro international cartel. And three of them in particular are on America's most wanted list. How did all this happen? And will they get them now? Stephen Breen uh, is crime editor of the Irish Sun and joins me. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This was an enormous day for law enforcement internationally. Five million on the heads of Daniel Christie and and one other of, of the Kinnahans. Like, this is huge. How did this all come about? It's incredible. Um, I think when we were given notification of the press conference taking place yesterday, obviously journalists were expecting a huge announcement, but when the uh, American ambassador to Ireland, you know, publicised for the first time that these three individuals connected to the Kinnahan Organised Crime Group were now the subject, each on their heads, a reward of $5 million. It was staggering. I think people didn't see this coming. I, I think it's one of the most uh, stunning moves in, in Irish Skyland history. I think that even when you have the commissioner, Drew Harris, yesterday talking about it being a landmark day in the fight against organised crime, but also he indicated that it's the first phase in the uh, investigation into the dismantling of the Kennedy Organised Crime Group. But I think yesterday's announcement and yesterday's strategy is the culmination of four years of, of intense negotiations between the Garda National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau and also at a political level as well mm-hmm. with the Garda Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau meeting with their law enforcement partners in Spain, in Holland, in the UK and also in America. And I think it also signifies the threat posed by the Kennehan Organised Crime Group. You know, these, as you mentioned at the start of your programme, about a gang of street dealers, these are narco-terrorists and yeah. at the press conference yesterday they were placed on the same level as drug cartels in Colombia, Mexico, Russia and Italy. So this is showing that a group of Irish individuals who formed the Irish Mafia are at the heart of global reinforcement investigations. The the name Kinahan is now as notorious in the drug trade as the name Escobar. That's what it is, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it it has been. Uh, When my my colleague and I, uh, Owen Conlon and I, were researching material for our book, you know, we were able to obtain the Spanish investigation files into um, the, the Kennehan organisation and it was staggering, you know, the level of resource that was available to this crime group, the money that they had at their disposal, their resources, their connections. I mean, and because when they moved to Spain, they built up a huge power base there, but crucially, they also spread their tentacles and, and established close contacts with some of the most notorious criminal gangs operating in Europe. And soon, it wasn't long before the Kinnahan organised crime group were considered as part of a European super cartel. But that just didn't be based in Europe. It also extended to South America as well. And, and that's why law enforcement agencies, through working closely with the Guardi, realised that the, this particular group posed a significant threat because of their involvement in arms trafficking, drug trafficking and murder. Stephen, I mentioned it before I brought you on there, you know, there are many hundreds of small-time drug dealers and scumbags on the streets of Dublin, on the streets of Cork, on the streets of Limerick. Mm-hmm. Small-time dealers. How do the Kinnahans, or how did they go from being small-time dealers on street corners to being this massive international drugs cartel? How did they build it up? Well, they built it up um, because they had one man at the top of that organisation, and that man was Christy Kinnahan. 
But ultimately, his first venture into the drugs trade uh, was a disaster because he was going to receive a six-year sentence for possession of heroin. But he used his time in prison, you know, to build up his uh, his contacts in the underworld. He also used to, to learn languages, and he adopted a, a business model. So when he came out of prison um, in, in the early 90s, his uh, mantra was that he was going to build up this huge empire and he went to southern Spain. It's when he was in Spain is when he cultivated these contacts um, through other serious organised crime players. And so it was him who, who built this up. It was him who had a business model. It was him who was extremely intelligent, but also very ruthless as well and would let no one stand in his way. So it's down to him that once he built up this empire, his decision was to surround himself with people that he trusted. And, you know, blood ties are very important here because... He entrusted the, his everyday running of his operations to um, his, his two sons. Christopher Kinnan had responsibility, according to the Spanish files, for money laundering and other logistical uh, activities. Daniel Kinnan had, had responsibility for weapons and drugs. So it built up this huge network of, of contacts, of associates, and but also a huge money laundering network as well. Where we, we were astounded when we were researching this that they had the interest in the, the cement trade in China chicken feet in China, property developments all over Brazil, in Cyprus, Liechtenstein. It, all, it was all about making money and laundering that money through legitimate means. So from the early noughties and over 20 years, they've just built it up into a huge, um, a huge uh, massive uh, network. Yeah. It's, it's an astonishing story. So what happens now? There's a $5 million reward on each of those three, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Christie and Christie Jr. And then there's a list of guys who are embargoed or sanctioned. What does that mean? Does that mean basically they can't do anything now? And who are they? Well, well it means in, in relation to, you know, the first of all, there, are, there were seven individuals named uh, on that uh, document by the U.S. Treasury Department yesterday. Three of those are the, the Kennehan Sr., Daniel Kennehan and Christie Kennehan Jr., and four of their associates have also been named as being hit with economic sanctions. And that means that they can't do any business with any U.S.-owned banks, any U.S.-owned financial institutions. They also can't fly on any U.S. airlines. And, and because the Treasury Department will also identify um, other associates of these individuals who they do business with, and crucially, too, in terms of the money that they've gathered and the money that they've channeled through various networks, they've identified three companies that they claim that these individuals are associated with so they won't be able to do any business in America and I think it's also important that because of Daniel Kennehan's PR campaign to place himself at the the, the top tier of boxing it's going to be very difficult for him to operate in the US and they won't have access to the cash so no question they're under serious serious pressure International Sports Management of course they're involved in that I think I may Mm -hmm. well have even drank a vodka that one of them was involved in and by saying that I mean you really don't know if you've ever been around Spain for example and the big holiday hotspots in Spain you don't know whether you were involved drinking something or eating in one of their restaurants or having a point in a pub that was connected to these guys because they lived cheek by jowl with the ordinary everyday people in Spain running this massive organised crime business in plain sight Yes, that that was their life I think we we all knew they were were based in Spain, the Spanish authorities got extremely concerned about them 
around 2006 and onwards and then in 2008 uh, one of their henchmen was murdered by themselves the, the Kinnahan cartel the Spanish believe in 2008 so that was bad for tourism in Spain and then in 2010 we saw Operation Shovel where there's a major crackdown in cooperation with the Gardaí and the Spanish authorities into the game and uh, numerous charges were levelled against them as the investigations continued but um, nothing uh, has come of that as of yet it's still ongoing and then in 2015 obviously the, the, the murder which kick-started the whole uh, Kenneth Hutch feud the killing of, of Gary Hutch um, yeah. I, I think that the, the when the Killington gang responded to the, the killing of David Byrne at the Regency, that's when they decided to move Spain because they were worried about the international cooperation and they went to somewhere where there was no extradition treaty with Ireland. So they've been constantly on the move, but mm. they had the resources and the wealth to be able to do that. You, you of course, wrote uh, the, the book, The Cartel, their definitive story of how they developed, which means you, you I, I suspect, Stephen, you, you and your colleague Owen know them better than most Irish journalists at this stage. What do you think is going to happen now? Will they be nabbed, particularly the three big guys? Will they be nabbed? Will they find themselves doing time in a, in a US prison? I think it's going to take time. Obviously, with the commissioner saying yesterday, this is the first phase of the Garda strategy, the European law enforcement strategy to bring them to justice. I think it's about also gathering evidence and gathering intelligence. So if the guards gather enough evidence to bring them before the court, because it's possible because of the guideline legislation that they could be charged with directing the activities of an organized crime gang. But there's also the possibility that the Americans might take an interest in their activities. And I think it's also important that yesterday, for the first time, we heard the guards talk about how one of their close associates, Daniel Kinnahan's advisor, Sean McGovern, mm. is now the subject of a European arrest warrant. So they're, they're really under pressure. I think, um, obviously, Kinnahan's attempts to portray himself as a legitimate businessman have ultimately failed now. I think his name, his brand, is going to be toxic. And I, I, I think you know the guards won't rush into any knee-jerk reaction. I think there'll be more pressure on the United Arab Emirates authorities because the Americans are now involved. So it's a multi-jurisdictional, a multi-law enforcement agency strategy and plan to bring them to justice, and that's what it means. They surely have enormous amounts of money squirreled away, which means they'll be able to get by for a while at least. Yeah, that's when we were researching the book. You know, we were looking at the Spanish investigation file and we had access to the Spanish wiretaps and they were listening into their phone calls in, in, in southern Spain, and they could often have conversations. They had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. They were constantly setting up businesses and third-party names. So, and, and, and these were, were, you know, companies and, and firms and set aside in the Cayman Islands and all around the world were places where out of the prying eye of law enforcement agencies. So, there's no question that you know, Daniel Kennehan will, will have obviously known that he will ha- will have been the subject of major Garda investigations. And, Obviously, they will have taken, you know, measures to to mm. make squirrel money away and have it hidden away and whatever they have. But um, there's no doubt that they, they they have amassed huge resources and some of the wiretaps uh, we we hear Christopher Kennehan Jr. talking about how well, he he must nip into the the the, uh, the room to get nine grand because his dad needs nine grand to go just for a week a weekend away trip somewhere. You know, things like that. You know, the, the money was staggering. It, yeah. it really was. Lastly, uh, Stephen, I'll put this commentary that's come in from John. He said, I don't know why there's all this dropping and cheering, whooping and cheering about this, because any criminal being arrested will merely be replaced, possibly by someone even worse, 
Why? Because people pe- keep consuming. It's time to look at this as an anti-social act that fuels crime, destroys families and cripples the health service. Well, the second, the, the first part of the comment rather than the second, they will be replaced by somebody else. But there really isn't anybody out of Ireland, at least, this big, is there, Stephen? Well, they, they will be replaced, and, and, and that's the nature of organised crime. But yeah. look how long it's taken the Kinahan Organised Crime Group to, you know, to rise to the top, uh, the top of the ladder in, in, in global circles in relation to uh, the activities and narco trafficking. And it, it, it just goes to show that, you know, that there were there was someone there in Christy Kinahan who, if had adopted his skills to perhaps legitimate means, could have had a very successful career. But they chose to embrace. Crime. I was just thinking that if they'd used their business skills for legitimate means, God, they could be employing mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people and making a massive uh, impact on the economy at home. Stephen, thank you very much for being with us. That's Stephen Breen, uh, uh, crime editor of the Irish Sun and author, co-author of a book called The Cartel, the shocking story of the Kinahan crime cartel, co-written with Stephen Breen and Owen Conlon. And that book, I've no doubt, will sell and shift a few more copies on the back of this development yesterday. We will put up a podcast extra of this last chat after the show if you want to listen back to any element of the interview there with Stephen. 0818-969696. My sister-in-law has a place in Spain and says they're well known for dining as a family in the restaurants without a care in the world. Shane says, brilliant and informative listen from Stephen Breen. Chatting with PJ. Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Takeover on Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. Takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Thunderland at Creamfields Tremor Road. Open every night until 10pm with free supervised parking. See Thunderland on Facebook for more. Cork's 96FM. In the Independent, uh, Paul Williams was reporting that there was a car connection with the Kinahan gang. A fellow called Johnny Morrissey, uh, who's one of these sanctioned individuals uh, had property in Kinsale in the 90s before he got involved with the Kinahans. 0818 96 96 96. This is sad, sad story. It's been a very tough couple of days for your family, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. What happened? Is everybody all right? Everybody's okay, except for the dogs. Except for the dogs. Um, but, you know, I do have a lot to be grateful for that, the, you know, none of it, nobody was stuck inside and the kids are all okay. Good. You were in West, Westbury Estate in Wilton. What happened? Um, it was just a spark from the fire. Right. Hit, it came out, fell out or came out of the fire and hit, hit the couch. Simple as that. As simple as that, yeah. Within 15 minutes, the whole place was gone up. Within 15 minutes. 
it was absolutely, I just couldn't believe it. It was like a house of cards. This was Saturday night. Saturday night, yeah. Right. So, describe it to me. You're just sitting there, what, watching telly or something? And No, I wasn't. Um, I had gone to a friend of mine's daughter's 21st. Um, and my my 18-year-old daughter was with me. And we I had dropped um, my other daughter. Uh, she's 16 to Tesco. She was going to get food to cook. It was around half nine at this stage. Um, and I had just got, I just got into the 21st. I just sat down and she, uh, Sophie had just walked back from Tesco's. Tesco's is just a two second walk away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when she came down, she was walking down and she could see the smoke um, or whatever. So she rang me and she was, she was screaming on the phone and I was thinking, what is wrong with her? Why is she screaming at me? So I couldn't hear her cause I was, you know, it was Flannery's, you know what I mean? It was absolutely packed so I had to go outside and she was screaming at me the house is on fire the dogs were inside so I had to run back up the stairs and it was only the luck of God that my friend was driving so she was able to get us into the car and drive us back down Frankie were you far away because I had gotten a taxi I had gotten a taxi over Mm. place is gutted absolutely gutted Mm. there's nothing left and tell me about the dogs. This is this is one of the saddest parts of it. Um, the dog we had a litter of three week old pups, um, and I had the crate of the pups. I had moved the crate of the pups upstairs to my bedroom, out of the way, um, because she she was very uncomfortable downstairs with the crate. So she kept trying to move them. So she seemed to be okay upstairs, close to me. You know, I had been in bed sick with COVID for two weeks. Um, and it was only the first few days of me even coming around after having COVID. Um, so that's why the puppies were upstairs. Uh, so she wouldn't leave the puppies. And obviously I have the, the two dogs that were a boy and a girl and he wouldn't leave her. So seven of them, seven of them in your bedroom? Seven of them, yeah. We had five puppies. They were three weeks old. Ah, oh, the poor little things. Four little things. Yeah. And they were like, they were like my babies, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, look, the house is destroyed and all your things are gone and that's bad enough in itself. But when I read about, when I read about the two dogs and having dogs of my own, I just thought, oh my God, and the little puppies. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. You lost some priceless mementos as well, did you? We did. Um, my my husband, my ex husband, or whatever, he passed away in two thousand and eighteen. Um, so we I had clothes belong to him, lots of family photographs with him with the kids, and you know, um, his wedding ring had been melted down and made into two chains for my two girls. So they're gone. We don't even know where they are. Oh, they're precious things. You know, there's no photographs, no photographs left, nothing. Nothing at all. Anything at all that we had left from him. For the, it's not even for me, it's for the kids, you know. What was his name? Their memories. Um, call it. Okay. Tell me where you stand now. I mean, it's a council house, I take it. Will you, I mean, hopefully you'll get it yeah. quick enough. But Please, where, God. Where are you staying now? 
Um, my mom lives up the next park for me, um, so we're all kind of staying there. But my sister is there with her two children and my mom and dad. My mom, you know, it's a three-bedroom house and it's a small house. It's not it's not big by any means, you know. So we have blow-up mattresses and we're kind of rotating because there's not enough room for all of us. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there, like, the kids are, you know, 16 to 22, so... They're grown. They're, they're essentially where we have, you know, five adults. You know what I mean? It's not like you could bunk two kids on the couch. I know. Or anything like that, you know? I know. Well, hopefully you'll be able to get sorted with uh, something soon enough. Yeah, I have, to, I have to be very careful as well. I have um, I have bone tumour in my knee. So I have to be very careful as well because if, if, if I fall over anything like my knee, I have only an eggshell of my own bone left in my knee. And if that breaks, like I'm facing amputation and or a, a huge operation and the uh, of a knee replacement you know that sounds painful <laughs> very very yeah so lisa i think you also want to point out apart from Nels, it was a miracle wasn't it that was it sophie you said Absolute she miracle. was on her way back from tesco's from this tesco's yeah happened while she was out of spark from the fire so easy yeah. for it to happen and she, and she would have been in her bedroom. She would have been upstairs, you know. Like, it's just, you know, I, I never go out, ever, ever go out on a Saturday night, ever, ever, any night. I never go out any night. I couldn't tell you the last time I was out. Um, it's just a miracle that there was nobody in the house, honest to God. And my oldest son, he, he, was, down, his, um, he was downstairs, you know, in the front room. Right. And he, like, he was the only one, his, his girlfriend was there with him as well. So he saw um, So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he tried so hard to get up the stairs to the dogs. And it was out of control before he had a chance to look at it. It was, uh, yeah, it was out of control. It literally, literally just two or three minutes it took for the kitchen to go up in flames. That's terrifying. He's okay and, and his girlfriend are okay, are they? He's okay. He's traumatized. He's absolutely traumatized. Yeah. He didn't. He 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 thought I was still upstairs. Uh, you know, so he was screaming for me outside on the streets. The neighbors were telling me. Yeah, I had. I had neighbors one time who had a a house fire, uh, and I'll never forget the damage it does to a house. It's it's. Yeah, awful, awful, awful. Frightening, awful. absolutely frightening. Um, and we and I did have a fire guard. The fire guard was up. It was was in front of the fire. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, you. I, I have no idea. I I cannot comprehend how this the spark from the fire must have because there's a there was a little, there's a small fire guard. There's a tiny little gap at the top, about an inch and a half. From the very, very top of, of the fireplace itself, and in, uh, some spark must have just come out of the fire and hit the couch. It just, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that something like that can happen in the space of such a short, a short space of time. You know. I know that you have um, a GoFundMe has been set up to help you to to try and get back in your feet, and if anybody wants to it has, help it has. that, they can. Hopefully the council will sort you out with a new place to live. But and there's irreplaceable stuff lost 
least of all, or not not least of all, rather, the lovely dogs. Um, I'm wondering how you have the strength to even talk to me, Lisa, to be quite honest with you. I have no choice. I have four kids. They need me now more than any, more than ever, you know. Well, you go and do what you do best. Look after them. And mind Thanks that, so much, mind PJ. That knee of yours. Mind that knee. Sorry? Mind your knee. I, I have no choice to do that either. I don't have time to be sick. All right. You take care of yourself. Who's looking after you? Thanks you? so much, PJ. Do you want to mind you? Each other. Each other. My parents are fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. I'm so, so blessed. You take care. Thanks so much, PJ. No bother, Lisa. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. 0818969696. How easy it is to happen. How easy it is to happen. A spark from the fire and bang. Everything's gone. 0818969696. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM loves Ed Sheeran. And you do too. So we want to send you and a friend to see him twice. Twice. Parky Queeve Cork on April 29th. Then once again in the city of love. Paris. Flights, accommodations, spending money, and tickets to see Ed twice. Live in concert. Listen to Cork's 96FM from Tuesday, April 19th for Ed Sheeran songs between 7am and 7pm weekdays. Then text WhatsApp in for your chance to win. Experience Ed Sheeran twice in Cork and Paris. With Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. Two massive stadium shows. Thanks to one radio station. Cork's 96 FM. OE3 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. So we started picking up on messages yesterday during the show uh, about the theft of home heating oil. Uh, and there's quite a bit of it going on about theft of oil in general uh, in parts of the, the county. And I'll come back to it because we want to. There's quite an amount of it going on, and security experts are warning how you can keep your precious fuel safe. Because, as you'll know, this morning I mentioned it to the top of the program, the gas and the electric, the VAT is going down, and I think they're taking this PSO obligation off as well. This public service tax—that's another tax—they're taking that off it as well. But the home heating oil, they say. They say that they can't touch that because to do so would be to adjust the VAT on that would be in breach of of European law. And look, that's that's their explanation. I, I know not. I, I'm not a European lawyer. I don't know. Um, but they say it would be illegal. The the government say it would be illegal for them under European law to tackle the VAT on home heating oil and to cut it like they're about to do with the electric and the gas. I'm wondering how many people listening actually have home heating oil. Uh, and and I imagine you'd be a bit peeved by being let out of that cut. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. But on the subject of it being stolen, the message we got was it was being stolen by night from places around Nakraha, Glountan, 
Glenn Meyer. Stephen Heffernan uh, runs a company called Serima. He's a security consultant and he joins me. Stephen, this seems to, obviously with, with home heating oil being a precious resource now, it, it, the, the criminal fraternity is going to take an interest. Good morning. Uh, good morning, TJ. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, indeed, there is an interest. Uh, I've come across two cases in the last couple of weeks. One from a domestic premises and one from uh, commercial. Uh, I mean, look at anyone who's using oil knows uh, in 2020, a thousand litres of oil was 1,180 euro. Sorry, that is now in 2020, it was about 560. So 1,180 now, 560 in 2020. Doubled. So doubled. Um, You see, a bit like any uh, crime reduction methods, uh, the answer is never simple in in the sense of trying to protect your your property or your assets. We have, uh, or your listeners indeed, some could be commercial, some could be rural, some could be urban, uh, and some could be very remote. So the answers for all of them would be slightly different. There are common areas that they they could all use, and indeed some of them are indeed a lot more expensive than others. Mm. So I would always, in any crime uh, deterrent or preventative uh, advice, I would always say lighting. Mm. Look at your lighting. Mm. These people tend not to like to work in bright light. So, the least, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and we're looking at hopefully something that wouldn't be too expensive. Now, people are going to test show probably, does that guy know that the um, electrical prices, that the electric costs are gone up? Well, indeed, I do know. Yeah, but uh, you're right. You, well, you, you but pick up these sensor, yeah, very exactly. bright sensor lights that open, yeah. they, they light up an entire year. Like you pick one of them up for 30, 40 quid. Now, yeah, well, wh- probably, yeah. Wiring it is another thing, but... but you need to qualify. If it's security lighting, you need a licensed installer. By the way, I, I should I should add this at the start: any security uh, item you get installed, like cameras, um, uh, locks, and monitoring of CCTV systems and alarms, have to be done by a licensed installer, licensed by the private security authority. That's a law. Um, so just ju- I just put that in first, but. Um, Lighting. If there's lighting around your house, uh, or indeed farms, uh, where there would be lighting, milking parlours and so on, working areas, it may not be a huge job to extend that to wherever your oil tank is. Have it coming on on a detector. It doesn't stay on for ages. You can have it on for many minutes, but they don't like that. Yeah. It's one level of the term. It's not the only level. Mm. And indeed, it, it's not guaranteed that that's going to make them run off. Yeah. Uh, the other one I would suggest to people, and this again would apply across the board, uh, rural, urban, um, whatever, is um, keep an eye out for strangers, particularly in country areas. Strange cars. Most of the time, these people will need some sort of a sizable vehicle because they need to carry tools, hoses, tank of some sort, or, or you know, barrels. A strange, sizable vehicle going around generally late at night, but not always, uh, would be something to watch out for. Yeah. Call is actually on, uh, Stephen, asking, is there any way to stop fellas who just brazenly walk around posing as or looking like tradesmen? 
Um, the only way is really, I, I would never suggest people, if, if you have suspicions, don't approach them. Um, be careful. If you have, if, if they look like tradesmen, and this, even years ago, this was a common trait, where they would go into places with their high-vis jackets on and, and their um, hard hats and yeah. rob, because it became so commonplace to see them. Yeah. And now it's, it's happening. Excuse me. And now it's happening again. I would suggest uh, you ring the guards, or if there happens to be a um, a name of a company on the, on the back of the jacket or whatever, ring that company. company. Maybe they've stolen the jackets from them. Yeah. Um. I know you mentioned security devices and using licensed installers and all that, but a lot of people are picking up on this Amazon Ring. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. Are they any use, or have you a different, better idea? Well, there's lots of better ideas, but they're very popular. Uh, you don't need a license installer if you're putting them up yourself. Um, and uh, the other thing is you can look on your telephone and see who's at the door or who's out in the area. Mm. Uh, and again, I would advise people, don't if you see somebody out in your yard or in the back of your garden, don't approach them, particularly late at night. Uh, these people might be carrying tools, uh, which they could use as weapons against you. Mm. And they are desperate. They don't want to be cornered. Should uh, you check so your house insurance? One site I was reading, Stephen, said, check your house insurance when you renew it every year and see the contents of your oil tank covered. That's right. Uh, that comes up now and again. Uh, that's not going to stop the robbery. Right? That's the first thing. Mm. Uh, it's certainly a prudent move uh, to check uh, because if you're going to lose a 1,000 litres of oil, as I said earlier, that's uh, €1,200 gone or whatever. So that may be recoverable. But it's not even the loss of the oil. They may do so much damage yes. to the, the structure um, and the piping, and you may have oil leaking under your house or yeah. into the ground, and there's a big cost then to get that uh, yeah. done. So, uh, yes, indeed, it would be. Um, unfortunately, I've come across several cases, not of oil and robbery, but of different uh, areas where people can't even afford their insurance. Yeah. That's uh, you well. know, and, and it's very important, yeah. Uh, it's just the way things are gone. How, but, much, but, how much of a but, deterrent is a good old-fashioned padlock? I mean a decent-sized like, oh, farmyard padlock. Yeah. Uh, uh, that would have been the next piece of advice, I would say. you Security is done in layers, so lighting would be one. Uh, access to your premises would be another, uh, uh, but you have to slow them down or stop them. And a good, and as you said yourself, a good, decent padlock. There are a lot of cheap padlocks around. Go into a good locksmith and ask for uh, mm. the best padlock. Uh, if you have 1,200 litres of oil or six or 700 uh, euros worth or whatever, why are you buying a padlock for two euro? That you'd put on 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 the on a gear bag going to Lanzarote. <laughs> yeah, no, well, use, no use. You, I, I, yeah. If you've ever been wander, walking, I'm sure you'd agree with me, Stephen. If you've ever walked around a farm co-op or some place like that, they have padlocks like you need help to lift them. It's yeah. one. It's one of those you want. That's it. Exactly. That's it. Right. Um, so, you know, it has to be relative to what you're trying to protect. All right. Okay. Listen, thanks for your time. All right. Um, cheers. Appreciate it. Uh, Stephen Heffernan from Cer- Serima Security. He's a concern, concern, security consultant. Uh, you try saying it quickly. 0818 96 96 96. Trending on social media the last couple of days is a super idea. Just a simple 
and super idea from UCC. Uh, because of the thousands of young people from Ukraine arriving in Ireland right now, they've come up with a simple but should be incredibly beneficial plan. Dr. Seamus Otuma is Director of the Adult um, and Continued Education Sector at UCC. And I'm also joined by Dr. Larissa Samsonok, who is Ukrainian and will be working on this new course. Seamus, t- to you first, good morning. This is free. It begins later this month. And what does it teach? Good morning. Well, I suppose the, the idea of the course is to uh, reach out to um, displaced Ukrainian students and give them a sense of what it's like to be a student in Ireland. And um, in, in, in terms of designing this, I suppose we wanted to have uh, the UCC students uh, front and centre, so they're very much involved in it. We have the academics involved, and we also have the student services departments uh, involved, trying to give a, a kind of a rounded um a uh, uh, sense of, of life in, in as a student, but also in terms of engaging with work and understanding Irish society. And we also have an English language section to mm. give people, I suppose, a little brush up in terms of their conversational English. Now it starts next week. Uh, so how can people register or show an interest or f- even find out more? Yeah, so they, they can register online uh, if they go to the um, ACE uh, page and UCC, if they just Google ACE courses, they'll find it there. Um, and I suppose we've distributed the links to it on all uh, social media and, and so on. Uh, there's no there's no fee, there's no uh, entry requirements. Um, the only thing is that they, they have to be over 18 years of age. Um, but apart from that, there are no there are no special requirements and there's no upper age limit, no lower age limit. And, you know, it's designed for Ukrainian students. But if there are are other displaced uh, students uh, who happen to be in the region, we're happy to take them as well. Okay. Um, Stay there for me, Seamus. I'll move to you, Dr. Samsonok. I hope that I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Dr. Larissa Samsonok. This will be, do you think it'll be... um, Welcomed by by your the people from your homeland who are finding refuge here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes, uh, this course is something like a welcome and support, informational support first of all for people who um, became to such uh, awful circumstances. Yeah. Thank you for such support. What will be taught, or what will be the elements of the course? Uh, actually, there are four um, uh, directions of this course. Uh, first of all, it's uh, information about students' life in uh, UCC and in Ireland uh, at all, um, because it's very important for students to be engaged in uh, students' community because they lost now their universities. And second part was about Ireland, about uh, political system, about culture, about law, and uh, about um, European Union for Ireland, uh, and something like that. And the third part was about, will be about um, uh, how get a protection, social protection okay. in Ireland or how to get their work or something like that. Informa- and first part, yeah, yeah, speaking English. Yes. Now, I have noticed that many of, of your 
your people, uh, Dr. Samson, speak excellent English. And, uh, or if they don't speak it excellently, they pick it up quickly when they come here. Um, that's, 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 that's useful for them. Is it taught in school in Ukraine? Uh, yes, uh, English. We have uh, several uh, um, obligatory courses in school, and English is a choice for people, but it's a mostly people uh, choose mostly English. Um, not only English, but English is very popular in Ukraine. Yes, yes, but of course we speak, as you as you know, uh, from being here, we, you, we speak English slightly differently to to the way you might learn it in Ukraine. How long are you here yourself, Doctor? Uh, pardon? How long have you been in Ireland yourself? Um, this year, this time, I've been I've been here from tenth of uh, March. Uh, and uh, it's not my first visit to Ireland. I've been here probably 15, 20 times before, okay. till uh, since 1996. Okay, you're, you're very familiar with us then. And, uh, and it's, it's great to be able to, to help those who are coming from the terrible situation back in, back in your homeland. It must make you very sad to see what is going on. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um, it's not sad. It's uh, impossible to understand what is going on. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah. yeah. That's very, very well put. Seamus, it starts on Tuesday, um, but you are still taking uh, expressions of interest. Where can people contact? Um, if, they, if they email, uh, the simplest one is ace at ucc.ie. ACE at ucc.ie if they email that email address we will be able to help them along um, and you know they can also uh, google it or whatever and they'll find us under the ACE, ACE uh, suite of programs in, in UC, on the UCC webpage and there's a link there to talk to Larissa or talk to Orna Hayes who's the other coordinator of it uh, but we've, we've already got a huge response um, and it's it's a very small thing that we're doing uh, in these terrible, terrible, terrible circumstances. Uh, but at least we feel we can do something to help students to have something close to a normal experience while they're here. Excellent. All right, Dr. Seamus Otuma, Director of ACE at UCC, and Dr. Larissa Samson, will be involved with that course. It starts Tuesday the 19th and will run for a couple of months. It'll run until June until the June weekend on the campus at UCC. 0818 96 96 96. Coming up after the news, how big is your family? If someone commented on the size of your family, how would you feel about it? Is there a normal family? Two, three, four, seven? Uh, Do you know anyone with an exceptional... Do you come from a large family? And did people comment on that? That's coming up after 10. Also, I want your thoughts on something. We are discussing this in the office this morning. Um, If, I'm thinking of men now in particular, if your partner asks you for something out of their handbag, would you fish it out of the bag and give it to them or hand them the bag? I got involved in a discussion on, uh, well, I think it was Twitter last night about this. And I said I would never, ever put my hand inside the Queen Bee's handbag. Even though she says, oh, just get it. No, your bag, your stuff. 
What would you do if someone asked you for something out of their handbag? Your partner? Your best friend? What would you do? Would you take the phone or the pair of scissors or whatever out of them? Or just hand it? No, your bag, your stuff. I know what I'd do. I would never, ever put my hand inside the bag. It's just not my domain. Your thoughts? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we know we're discussing that this morning. Just around the office. Asking KC, for example, if his missus asked him for a, something out of her handbag what would he do he said he'd give her the he'd get the he'd fish the thing out of her bag I think Fiona you said that um, Gordon would, would fish it out for you I would never no it's just it's a thing it's been a thing for me since we were going out together if she asks me for something that's in her bag and she'll tell me I guess it, no no your bag your stuff. Now the only exception would be she's got this big folder that she uses for work and it sticks out of the top of her bag so I'll, I'll grab that rather than the whole bag. But if she says to me, get me phone out of my bag or get me purse out of my bag or whatever, oh God, no, she gets the bag. It's, it's, that's, to me, a woman's handbag is the most private space they have. All their stuff is in it. Now, besides the fact that Queen Bee keeps receipts for a long time, I'm sure she has receipts for, like the stuff we put into the kitchen when we redid the kitchen nearly five years ago she, she still has those receipts in there don't mind that like you have no idea what you put there could be things in, the, things in there with teeth for all you I don't, but, no, <laughs> it's just a privacy thing but what about you if you I'm thinking of my female listeners now if you asked your husband or partner or your girlfriend as the case may be for your handbag or for something in your handbag would they give you the bag or would they fish the thing out for you? And do you want them to fish it out for you or do you want them to give you the bag? Would you be bothered? By which? I don't know. It's just me. I, maybe I... They remain to be convinced. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I don't know. It's just to me, a woman's handbag is a private, private place. Private, private place. And, and I wouldn't go near it. I'd be afraid of my life what I find inside this half the time, to be perfectly honest with you. I might tell you later about the game we used to play long ago when we were DJs doing functions um, and some of the stuff that was found in headbags but that's 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 a by the by 0818 96 96 96 are you in a large family? do you have a large family? what constitutes a large family in 2022? 3, 4, 5 kids 6 kids 7 kids does anybody have kids in double figures anymore? When I was growing up, and yes, I am older, but when I was growing up, families with eight or nine or ten kids were not uncommon. My, my mother-in-law used to speak of a family she grew up. There were neighbours down the road, and there were 17 of them. She used to say they're a very close family. I said, what choice did they have? Do you know what I mean? But Hilaria Baldwin, she to be 
Mrs. Alec Baldwin, uh, recently announced that she's pregnant on her seventh child. Now, to be honest with you, I'd be more concerned about the parents who left her with that awful name, Hilaria. Like, what were they thinking? Hilaria, hilarious. Do you know what I mean? Not just call her Hillary and get over it. But that's just me. But she announced, she and Alec announced that they're expecting their seventh child. And there was a pylon. There was a social media pylon. And among the things they were accused of was not contributing to the future of the planet. Not being environmentally friendly. And in response to all of that, parenting journalist Jen Hogan wrote a column in the Irish Times which said, I personally don't care what people consider to be a socially acceptable number of children. Have one, none, seven or 27, whatever number suits you. Presuming, of course, you're fortunate enough to be able to choose. Jen, you you wrote this piece uh, in response to news from Hilaria Baldwin. Uh, I didn't even know you had seven kids. I knew you had four or five. W- would you accept that your number is a bit high by 2022 standards? I'm just gobsmacked, PJ. I thought that's what I was known for, her with all the kids. <laughs> she with all the kids. But Which you mean I, four or five is all the kids? You know? <laughs> it is all the kids. It's, more than all, it's all relative, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely I have socially unacceptable numbers. I definitely realise that now. It's pointed out to me a lot. Like the, the expression on people's faces, uh, comments made, the fact that people count us when we walk by. <laughs> you realise you're somewhat of an enigma and somewhat something a little bit different. And of course, holidays, car practicalities, logistics, all those things. They don't tend to work around families of our size because we're not the typical Irish family anymore. But um, actually, look, I was lucky enough. I always had hoped to have a large family. I was really lucky to have a large family. It wasn't straightforward the whole way there. I had several miscarriages en route to having my seven children, so I never mm-hmm. take any of them for granted. Um but yeah, it it does seem to it seems to rile pe- some people anyway yeah. <laughs> a little bit who have a have something to say about it and uh, that was very obvious when Larry Baldwin made the yeah. announcement. So I think I could relate to that because I was there going, yeah, I, I hear you, I hear you, I see. I'm sure she was ignoring them, but I was taking some of it personally. There was a bit of a pylon, to say the least, against her. Yeah. There was. I mean, her decisions were, or her her choice to have seven children was uh, kind of deemed unenvironmentally friendly and an awful lot of judgment about her having uh, so many. And of course, I know we were in the middle of a climate crisis and people are very quick to turn and point to, point to that. But I don't believe anybody factors that into their family choice, uh, size choice. I think you might factor lots of different things, but I don't think they factored in any more than I factored in my the contribution that I'd be making to the pen, impending pension crisis by having so many children either. I think it's just something that you, yeah. you you know you do and you hope if you're lucky enough that that's what you want and that's what you can support. I, I'm trying to think how anybody would accuse a person with uh, seven children or six children or nine children or t- of, uh, of 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 being unfriendly to the environment. Though maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit thick, but I, I can't pick up on that. I suppose it's the overpopulation, the idea that the world is overpopulated, but it rather conveniently ignores the fact that our replacement rate is too low and that we do actually, in all yeah. seriousness, have an impending pension crisis and that we do actually need more more babies and more children. And in some parts of the world, they're even paying people to have to actively encourage them to have more children. And then there's the presumption, which is so off the wall, because when you have seven kids, it costs a fortune or three, four, five yeah. kids cost a fortune. So you're not having 
the same number of foreign holidays and you're not like my one car I drive a Ford Transit which is converted into a nine seater I'm like other taxi drivers we've had people try to get into the car when I'm on a pickup thinking I'm a taxi but yeah those situations have happened but it's going and it's full of nine people my house when it's heated there are nine people in the heat in the in the house you know when the cooker's on it's on for everybody we have been away I mean been away twice I think in 20 something years uh, because it's hugely expensive to go away so I um, we don't don't eat a huge amount of meat that's largely down to the fact that I don't really like meat so I'm doing the one doing most of the cooking so we don't eat a huge amount of that and you know what the kids walk to school and mm. we have to cut our cloth accordingly because there's so many of them and the idea that we're in some way unenvironmentally friendly or that you know responsible for global warming it's a bit a bit hard to take but do you know what it's not just large families get this there seems to be judgment across the board because I actually asked parents about this and um my parents, and it was women, I'll have to say, PJ, because men, it didn't seem to bother at all. They didn't really care what anybody thought of the size of their family, but women did. Women were a bit sensitive to it and they got in touch and people said that if they had four, once you had four, you're into the area of extreme parenting. Like it was like a sport here. Now you're at that stage. Four. Um, people had had drug four. Four is like, two is socially acceptable, three is teetering on the edge, possibly. We might be okay. Four, what's wrong with you? Like, and as particularly if you already have both genders, that can be the only reason people can excuse you to to, um, to keep having children because you're just trying to have a girl or a boy or whatever uh, they just don't can't get their heads around the idea mm. that you might continue to have children um, irrespective of their gender that that seems to confuse them but there were women coming saying to me that if they had one child they had people passing comments on lonely children on, you know that child might be lonely without any regard or consideration for the fact that per, that maybe they had one child because of circumstances mm. or choice whatever it was or that it might have been a huge difficulty to have that one child they might love a second child or perhaps one suit of them and then there were other women who said if you didn't have any children you weren't even considered a proper woman at all so women definitely feel this judgment about the the side of the family and they don't just feel it they're listening to it they're hearing it there was another mother said to me that um somebody actually offered their condolences when she said that she was um or when she was expecting twins like they said oh sorry you know to hear that and I said what what is wrong this is great news but people are people are cracked <laughs> the stuff they come out with is just off the wall mentioning twins we, we, we stopped it too because, because I said yeah. hang on she pops the mountain twos I'm, you know taking no chances here <laughs> You were there. <laughs> Plus, we had a boy and a girl, so we had the the gentleman's family, the pigeons, the gentleman's family, all in one go. No, that's the one. That's the one I think confuses me because a lot of people said that to me at the beginning. I had a girl first, and then I had a boy, and so then there was the amount of people who turned to me then and said, "Oh, well, you're done now because you have the two. Now, if that's what you choose, like you did, that's great. But the presumption that that again—that's the only reason. It's terribly offensive as well to families who have all girls or all boys to think that that's the only reason you know yeah. or that you you don't adore your sons or don't adore your daughters it's, it's again one of the many things that completely confuses me altogether the one thing that i suppose people have to take into account in in mm. 2022 when they're planning a family jen assuming that biology and all things mm-hmm. connected to it are okay and everything like that is the cost of living can you afford yeah. to have a child like when you were having your family did did the and you mentioned him already, how expensive having seven children mm-hmm. is. Did that ever put you off? It did. I mean, I have literally, <clears throat> excuse me, I have literally worked my entire career around the kids and it has made, you know, there's been decisions I've had to take because 
um, you know, to try to work around, say, childcare, for example. So when I returned after having my daughter returned to work and I, I went part time actually after having my daughter, I was lucky enough to be able to. And I planned to go back three days, one day week and two days. another. this was in my head what I was going to do. But I was commuting. I had to live out of Dublin. I couldn't afford to live in Dublin at the time. And it didn't make sense to leave her such long days in childcare. So instead, I went mornings only. And I kept that pattern going because what it meant was I never had more than two in childcare at the one time. The next one had moved on to school. I was always home, so I didn't need childcare in the evening. I was trying to work around then the early childcare scheme, which meant when they were in Montessori, that cut childcare costs. You name it, I tried to work around a parental leave to cut the cost of summer. Things like summer camps and stuff, they're nearly mm. an impossibility for me because they're just too expensive. There's too many of them. And, and like on, on occasions like that, you really feel the pressure. <clears throat> Sorry, because I still have to work, obviously, over, yeah. over the summer and over holidays like this. And and there isn't an option for me there to put the kids into things like that. It certainly was a consideration, but I really, really wanted to have this large yeah. family. And I can't believe my good luck that I was able to. But through, I suppose, I suppose through being able to work or work a job sharing pattern around only having two in childcare at any one time, while it was a crippling cost. And basically I worked and just paid the childcare. That's what it was. There was nothing left, but I was there trying to keep my, my career and my job going for, for the future. Uh, that was that was largely how I worked around it. Like yeah. we sacrificed things like holidays. We sacrificed lots of different things that, you know, that aren't an option. I often say, I joke about my house, which I bought t- 12 years ago as a fixer upper and it's still a fixer upper, you know, and it's just, <laughs> it's just the reality of, you know, you, you have to d- deal with the priorities that you have and the cost of living crisis is certainly something we feel back to school things there are things that we feel you know birthdays special occasions I mean these are really expensive I work really hard and I make sacrifice and and I suppose for me these are the things that I I focus on the things that matter to me and it's much more I was important to me if I was able to if I was lucky enough to and I was to have my large family to have them as opposed to jetting off a couple of times a year and having maybe a couple of holidays or being able to maybe go out for a meal without a second thought because things like that they're again hugely expensive it's not like I'm not pretending that I live the same life that I'd be able to live if I only had two children for example it's not it's very different because everything is the cost is multiplied hugely but mm. I I mean I do feel in other regards I've won the lot and that sounds really corny, corny. No, and I swear no. to God, they were killing each other today they were killing each other I was ready to sell them on eBay and take up day drinking it was not like it wasn't <laughs> as if as if it's not stressful but I I mean, just I mean, as well, sometimes you look at them and you go, geez, I'm, I'm the luckiest woman I know. So, yeah, yeah, I'm happy enough to cut my class, as I said, accordingly. I think the message is, you know, if someone has three, four, mm-hmm. ten, none, it's none of your business. Absolutely. It, it's because, you know, no one else is rearing them. No one else is rearing them. No one else is paying for them. No one else is having the sleepless nights. No one else is doing the multiple runs to A and E when one of them decide, one of them decides to jump off that wall that they shouldn't have jumped off or gets hurt in a rugby blitz or whatever it is that that's happened that week. It's, it, you know, it's myself and my husband and we're like a tag team and we don't have, we don't actually have backup. It's, it's the two of us and we keep it going. And um, we've so far so good. I suppose it's a case of winging it and hoping for the best, dropping a few balls along the way and hoping they weren't too important <laughs> That's really the way we operate. And um, it isn't really anybody's opinion. But I also think it's, it, it's. I mean, it's it's nice. And we do get lots of positive comments too. The people are sometimes curious and they'll say lovely things to you when you're out, when you've got loads of, once they get over the initial shock and you get the, oh my God, are they all yours? Or they ask you if they all got the same father. That's one actually I've seen. Oh, get away. 
really personal and ask you this sort of question. It's quite incredible that, that oh, they. Ghetto. So you do get that, but largely there there is most people in real life are positive. It's a yeah. different story when you go online. But I don't think it's, I think you have to be so careful like when people are passing those judgments, whether it be in a big family or in a smaller family or perhaps where somebody doesn't have children at all, to be conscious that you could just be adding to somebody's hurt or stress when you, you uh, make that throwaway comment. I'm thinking, you know, in a way, Jen, having described to me how it wasn't always the easiest, but mm. you, you love them so much. You, the Baldwins won't have to worry about any of that. I mean, I tell you, I would absolutely, like, I'm unlo- I'd be lying if I said I would love a nanny. I'd love someone to take them off sometimes. They're going to have a staff, that lot. Yeah. yeah, she's going to have that. She just gets to do all the newborn cuddles and all the nice parts and stuff. And they're going to have, they're going to have a team of staff who's going to look after all the challenging parts and do all the school runs and the homework and all the likes of that. So they're really lucky there. It would be nice. I think most of us would love to have that little bit of uh, backup. But sure, look, I knew what I was getting into. I'm all singletons, so it wasn't, I didn't have multiples like you. So it wasn't as if I ended up getting a couple more than I bar- bargained for at any one time. I got to gradually build up. It was like like a for training for a marathon. That's what it was. And <laughs> uh, you're still running. Jen, thanks as always. Take care. Running. My pleasure. Take care, PJ. There you go. That's Jen Hogan. Oh eight one eight ninety six, ninety six ninety six. I came. There's, there's three of us. Um, both of my sister, and my brother have three each. I've got two. Um, they're the average. Uh, Megs, who regularly tweets the show, has six. Um, what's the what's a big family these days? What is a big family? Anyone come from a really big family? Anyone come from like 8, 9, 10, 14? 0818 Yeah, my dad came from a family of 14, living in a three-bedroom house. I have 42 first cousins. That makes for very... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Expensive Christmases. It's got to do. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Ah, the proc have come out of their slumber. They're, they're very quiet on the proc of late. Um, but hello, Jimmy. Jimmy's accusing me of populism by saying that the government are telling us that they can't adjust the VAT on home heating oil. And they tell us that it's down to European law. I can't question that because I'm not a lawyer. That's not populism, Jimmy. That's the truth. We, we take them on trust. We have to take them on trust that they can't do it. And it will be illegal to go against European law. So there's no populism going on here. Actually, Daniel McConnell of The Examiner was saying that on the show on Monday. Was it Monday? Tuesday? Whatever. Monday. Uh, he said that it would be against European law. So no populism, Jimmy. Do you know? Thank you, though. We love you. We know you're still out there. 0818 96 96 96. There'd be war over handbags in some houses. I tell you now, there really would. Um, <laughs> Paul says, I'd never go near the wife's bag. Always, always hand it to her. No, no, PJ. Never get anything from someone else's handbag. If it just, it just doesn't feel right if it's not your own handbag. No, I'd never hand over my bag. I hate someone poking in it. So if they pull out something else and they're asking all sorts of questions. I've seen things go into her bag and not come out. No way. <laughs> my partner says he'd just pass the handbag for fear he'd pass me the wrong thing. It's it's kind of 50-50. Uh, I wouldn't, no, no. Like I said, the big thing she has for work, the big folder thing she has for work, that fine, yeah. Or something like maybe her phone, which is tucked into a little pocket at the front. Yeah, right. Or the house keys, similar. But no, God, no. No, no, no. It's her, 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 um, her domain. And I've always thought like that. And she said, for God's sake, she said, nothing to hide. I said, I don't care. I don't care. That's, that's your domain. 0818 96 96 96 on families. PJ, my daughter has 12 kids. Good Lord. That's a lot of children. Blessings to her. I mean, they must consider themselves really happy and blessed, but 12 kids. Where would you start? I come from a family of 13. While we had nothing fancy growing up, we had a happy childhood and we had great memories. But school was tough. The teachers used to look down on us. My parents always taught us to work hard, and that stood to us. I'm delighted to hear Jane on the radio. Glad to hear some people are still choosing to have large families. Another one, I'm from a family of 13 children. The largest number of children any of my siblings have had is five. Some have none at all. <laughs> it turned them off for life. I assume you mean grown up in a family of 13. I would imagine, how would you access the bathroom in a house of 12 or 13 children? Even if you have a second bathroom, how would you access a bathroom? Mag says, on the topic of large families, telling someone we've six children can go either way. We had to get a fair play or you need a new hobby. <laughs> Whether or which, if someone chooses to have none or ten, it's nobody's business of their own. Yeah, that seems it's nobody's business of their own. But there are people from... I am from a family of 12 and mum and dad, and I have two, says Margaret Healy. 
Thanks, Margaret. 0818 96 96 96. I'm wondering, because some of the comments on the handbag thing are not signed. I'd like to know whether they're coming from men or women. I, I think there's more men out there on my side than I might think. And younger men. Oh, God, no. Oh, gee, no, no, that's her bag. That's her bag. Give, I don't care what it is she wants. Give, even if it's the bottle of water, stick it down. No, that's her bag. I think there's more people out there think like that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Uh, Adrian Aranji and Helen O'Driscoll, thank you both for holding there for the couple of minutes. Um, we're here to talk about Cancer Connect. Like I said, sometimes the best ideas are the simplest. Helen, who came up with the idea of picking people up in West Cork and bringing them to town for cancer appointments. It's such a simple yet such a wonderful idea. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Isn't it though? Um, I'll tell you, we got a phone call um, in 2011 and we were local in Cork. Got a phone call in 2011 from someone in the Skibbereen area saying there are quite a few people for travelling for radiotherapy. Is there anything Local Link can do? Which was a community transport service anyway. And that idea, I suppose, look, we ran with it very quickly. We got a few volunteers, we bought an eight-seater and boom, Cancer Connect was born. So very, very quickly we got a team of people bringing their community members to Cork for cancer treatment. So that's 11 years ago this week actually that all happened. Yeah, yeah. And that grew then beyond radiotherapy into bringing people up for, I suppose, anything that people had to get to Cork for as part of their cancer journey. Chemotherapy, related appointments, scans, bloods, whatever was involved um, so it, it grew It grew from, as you said, a really simple idea, just a phone call from someone in a local community yeah. seeing what was going on, you know. And is it scheduled now or do you just go when you're needed? Do you have specific departure times from specific places? Both. So radiotherapy is a very structured treatment and the hospitals have been great with us and what they've done, the CUH and the bonds, They've given us specific times for our passengers. So that allows us to create a timetable. So we leave certain parts of Cork. We have four different radiotherapy routes. We leave at a certain time. We come in, passengers have their treatment and they're gone again within the hour. It means for the passenger, if they're doing seven weeks of treatment, that they can have some kind of structure to their day and some kind of routine, you know. So that that part of the service is very scheduled. The rest... The appointments, look, they could be for five minutes or for 12 hours. So that's very much a one-to-one basis, depending on what the person needs. So that is never structured yeah. time-wise. That's down to the individual. Like I'm looking um, at where you, where you serve, like Bantry, Dunmanway, Court Mac, Union Hall, Timaleague, Balangiri, Drina, Baltimore, <laughs> Adrigal, Allahees, and whatever you have in yourself. Like, you really are covering a huge area. But it's demand-led. You know, when this started, we thought, look, Skibbereen is busy, we'll go to Skibbereen. And that grew over to the Bantry side, and then that grew over to North Cork, to Newmarket, Charleville, Mitchellstown. And only last year we started in, in East Cork, which I know I know we'll talk later. Um, but, it, you know, it, it basically people heard of the services. The hospital heard of it, and the hospital were ringing us flat out saying, we have somebody coming here from Baltimore, we have somebody coming from Yall, we have somebody coming from Kentark. And it, we just followed demand. And we were lucky to be able to do it, to be honest, you know. Sure. So as the calls came in from different people, we were able to respond to them and say, look, we're trying to find some volunteers in your area and we'll go from there. How so now we're, we're countywide. How is it funded? <laughs> 
by the community, which is amazing. Um, we don't get any government funding at all. So Cancer Connect None. is not for profit. Not a penny. No, no. Um, we're not for profit. We uh, are a charity. We raise our money. Now, I'm luckily in, lucky enough that I actually don't have to go out and raise money because the community are doing it. So the community hold events, they have fundraisers, passengers donate, even though the service is free for them and 100% free, they do donate sometimes. Um, Different bodies give us different amounts of money here and there and we've been very lucky that the community, I suppose because they're using it and driving it, they kind of want to keep it going. So what they've been doing is making sure that it's financed as well. So it's, it's been very positive in that sense that people are raising money. I hope that continues. I don't know if it will. Certainly COVID made made our finances difficult because yeah. people weren't able to have events. But we kept going anyway. Yeah. It's, um, it's, but, it's a remarkable success story. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the... Uh, stay there with, uh, with me, Helen. Thank you. Uh, one of the volunteers is Adrian. Adrian, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Now, you are one of the East Cork uh, drivers. How did you get involved? Well, to be honest with you, uh, accidentally on the high chair, one of the guys was talking about it uh, in Ballycotton and it it struck me as a perfect uh, way of giving back um, to be able to drive somebody who has no car or ability to get to Cork on time in the hospital, you know, with all the hospital parking problems as well. To be able to just quickly pick somebody up, drop them off, do your bits and pieces for an hour and a half and come back and pick them up. And I think I'm doing it about a year now. I find it brilliant. Great chats in the car. And um, How often would yeah, you be so on the road? I'm on the road every day. So I actually, when the text messages come in, I plan my day around, you know, if I decide, I try and do one one a week. Right. Um, but you can do one a month or, you know, two a week. Sometimes if I get on really well with the patient and I ask them if they got something for the next day, they say no, then I'll do it again. But I'm unique because I work for myself, so I'm on the road in and around the city every day and it actually gets me out mm. to do stuff anyway. Sometimes, you know, when you're working from home, you get a bit, you know, drilled down into it. But, um you know, long story short, really, it's um, it's 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 just a great way of being able to directly give something for uh, somebody else. And have and, you any connection you know, yourself, Adrian, to cancer care? Anyone in your family had to do it? No, nothing. And I thought about it myself afterwards that, you know, if I was diagnosed, I don't know where to go. I don't know anything about it. I don't know the system. And I thought, right, let's see what is involved and where do you go, what's involved. And, yeah, I get to, uh, you know, I get to see firsthand the real, um, you know, struggles and positivity that people have facing it. Mm. And it's not as bad as, as it's, you know, it's not as doom and gloom as it can be for for everybody. But it is, it is a very positive experience. I, I, I like it. I love the chats with some of the older people. I mainly do kind of your Middleton, Killa, East Cork direction, you know. So you'd be up and down, up. You'd be up in forty-five minutes to an hour, and maybe an hour. Yeah. So I've, I've, as an East Corker, I've never been to Duns in Bishopstown. Now I, now I pop over there and pick up a few bits from the butchers and whatever. Yeah. And you know, a YouTube video, and you're back in the car and back home again. You know. Yeah, it's it's a nice. I guess it's a, a nice way to spend a day and and something like you said, giving back. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm lucky that I work for myself. I'm involved in IT and telecoms and internet. I, you know, I can plan my day. If I've got a call out, I can plan my day. I know it's a quick hour to do it. And, oh, um, the line has dropped on us, on us there, Adrian. You're back. Sorry, there was somebody else ringing me there. Yeah, um, I, I, I can basically plan my day around it when I decide. Okay, somebody. Sometimes there's a text come in really quickly and they're stuck, mm. and they need something for the next day, and I happen to have a call out anyway. So, you know, I can say, look, I can do that. Pick them up at ten in the morning, drop them off for quarter to eleven, right. and um, they just know on top of everything else that when they're finished, even if they get delayed. There's a car outside. Mm. There's somebody going to bring them straight home. The odd time they might want to get something in the shop on the way through in Casamart or something, I'll pull in and, you know, wait for them. And and Adrian, thank you. And that's, Helen, the kind of thing, isn't it, that people now know they can have someone there waiting for them. It doesn't cost them anything if they want to make a donation, like you said. And to have guys like Adrian prepared to do it, that's the heart and soul of the group, isn't it? That's the heart and soul, right? I mean, you know, we we don't means test. It's really for us not about finances. It is exactly what Adrian said. You know, having the car outside the door when you're ready. You know, it's not worrying about having diesel in the car or the NCT up to date or whatever. It's about having somebody at your door. So you just sit in, you get your appointment, you can focus on the medical side of things and attending your appointment as opposed to the getting there, which doesn't seem like a huge issue, but it can become a huge issue. So the heart and soul is the kindness of the volunteer sitting there and saying, I'm here when you're ready and I'll drop in and grab your cup of tea on the way home if you need it. And, you know, it is that sort of the human contact and the human support. It's so, huge, and that's why it's successful for the passenger, I think, because of that sort of generosity of spirit around them, you know. So lastly, Helen, if anybody needs the service, how do they go about it? They phone us. It's very simple. We don't do paperwork for passengers. If somebody wants to use the service, they ring me, they give me their name, their contact details, and their appointment times. And that's it. We book them in and then we look for a driver following our booking. So we would then ring or text Adrian and say, are you free for this run? Um, but it's very straightforward. We don't ask any medical questions and we don't need any medical detail. Oh. It's just simply ringing and making the appointment. And is there a number you can give us out publicly in case anybody wants to contact you? Absolutely. 021-203-8525. Yeah. Okay. Will I call it out a second time? Do I, I, I'll do it there now. I have it, I have it written down. Better again. Yeah, <laughs> Helen, <laughs> thank you. Helen O'Driscoll from Cancer Connect, the organiser, and Adrian Aranji, one of the volunteer drivers. I, that's just brilliant. That's fantastic community service. 021 203 8525 if you need to contact them for somebody or for yourself. 021 203 8525. Our number, 0818 96, 96, 96 The Premier League live back Saturday uh, with Trevor Welsh, all powered up by Talk Sport on 96pm.ie or indeed on the app. Two games uh, this Saturday. Spurs against Brighton at half 12 and Southampton v Arsenal at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock, full live commentary. The Premier League Live Online is with now your sport on your terms, streaming only the games that matter to you most with now... And you're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go indeed to 96FM.ie. 
Here's a quick one before I move on. Uh, we would really appreciate if you could give a shout out to the students of the Montfort College of Performing Arts. They are opening in Firkin Crane Theatre today with Aladdin. It'll be the first time in two and a half years the children can go back and perform to an audience. They're nervous, but excited and thrilled to be back on stage and be excited and thrilled for them. Easter pantomime from Montfort College of Performing Arts. Aladdin at the Firkin Crane. Good luck to everybody involved. Imagine being on TikTok and being outed by the very class you teach in school. My first question, Tiger Donovan, is with half a million TikTok followers, how come you're still teaching? Good morning. You're not making millions out of this. <laughs> Morning, PJ. Uh, it doesn't quite work that way. I think no. a lot of people imagine that uh, once you get onto social media and you start um, start start spending so much time there that you're making loads of money. But uh, no, I am. I'm very much doing it for the love of just trying to make people laugh and smile, and somewhere along the way, trying to educate a few yeah. kids as well with some with some science. But uh, yeah, no, it um, it was very interesting when about three days into teaching the Carrig line. Some of the kids started to realise I recognise him from somewhere already. So yeah, it's um it's been an interesting little journey. <laughs> yeah, you've two channels. You've one is the little these little. I mean, they're too short for me. <laughs> they're over for the start. <laughs> but that, that's what that's what the teenagers are into. And then you've the one where you teach. How did it all start? Um, so it started around March of 2020, I suppose, just a couple of weeks into the pandemic over in the UK. I um. I was teaching over there for five years and uh, everything shut down and, and, and kind of the same situation here. All the kids were sent home and we were trying to educate online and we were kind of, we, we noticed a massive, massive drop off from the students when it came to like Google Classroom and trying to actually get them to do any sort of work. Um, and we were kind of scratching our brains wondering, you know, why aren't they coming online? We, we get the idea that they're at home, but, you know, they've got nothing better to be at, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was lucky enough that um, my school were running a program where we we took um, quite a lot of food aid out to some of our more disadvantaged students, um, and I was available and free to go and 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 help and and drop those off to the students. And when I was there, I just asked, you know, how are you getting on with the schoolwork? What are you what are you spending your time doing? And they were saying they were spending seven or eight hours a day scrolling through TikTok and watching all of these videos and. And I dismissed the app for about a year. Of, you know, I'd seen all the kids on it at school and talking about it, but I was kind of going, "Ash, look, it's a kids' app." And then it kind of it, it clicked with me that maybe, maybe I should be going to where the kids are and trying to kind of remind them that school is there as well, and, and kind of maybe give them some familiar faces. And I said, "You know what? Rather than trying to force them to come towards Google Classroom, if I went to where they were, it might remind them to come over and and do a little bit of work as well." Um, and almost annoyed him into remembering that school still exists. But um, it, good, good it thinking. To Go to what they're looking at. Um, it's a huge platform now. It's like it's the kitty of them all. So, is there a lot of work goes into the into the videos? It depends. It depends. I suppose if you want to put a lot of time and effort into it, you can put a lot of time and effort into it. I've I've made videos before where you know it's taken over an hour to do a science experiment and and wrap it all together and then edit the whole video, put captions onto it, and then you know it's all edited down into something that's less than a minute long. Um, and then other stuff can take two minutes. So it just depends on what you want out of it and, and what you think will work best with your audience, you know. Um, and a lot of time you're using sounds that are already on 
on the app and you're just trying to go, oh, can I come up with something creative here in a scientific way or is there something here that I can, you know, remind them of of something that generally happens across the board for, for kids all over the world rather than not just something that's specific to your own classroom. Um, so it just depends on, on, on what you think will work best. Does it make you really popular? Like, are you seen as the cool, <laughs> my teacher's on TikTok? I I don't really think so. I think, I, I suppose the novelty was there at the beginning and a lot of the students in the school would have been like, oh my God, that's that TikTok teacher. But, you know, as time wears on, you know, kids get used to, to seeing you around and, you know, especially your own classes, they just kind of, they see you as just another teacher, which is great. You know, I yeah. don't want them thinking there's anything special about me because I'm not. The only difference is there's just a camera in front of me a little bit more often than what other teachers yeah. would have. Do you um, think though because of the vids that, you know, you're using them you're doing them on a platform that they are engrossed in. Does that help them to engage educationally with you? Like, I think what it probably has done is it's automatically given me a better chance with them kind of coming in the door. You know, there's almost that little bit of respect that they understand. Oh, he's he's he kind of understands what our world is like a little bit more. And I suppose it kind of automatically gave me a bit of a rapport with them. Um, so it, it helped to establish a solid, a solid platform uh, for a relationship there at the start. Um, but to be honest, you know, I've always been fairly decent at, at building good relationships with my students anyway. So, um, I, you know, for them, it was a, a very much a novelty, but my own personality came through as well inside in the classroom. Oh, yeah. It's, you're, you're not afraid to take the mickey out of yourself, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important, you know, if if that's your kind of personality and, and you're willing to have a little bit of a laugh and a joke and, and kind of remind them that, you know, they're they're young as well. You know, they, they're supposed to be enjoying education. It shouldn't be all all heavy going and serious all the time. You have to remind them they're only kids as well and they can have a little bit of a laugh and that's what school is about, is enjoying your time there and learning something along the way. Any of your colleagues in Carrigaline taking up the, the idea to do it themselves? Um, I I haven't seen any of them take up the idea. I've had loads of them approach me, going. I was I just going to say, will you teach me to use that thing? <laughs> what I what I have had is I've had a couple of teachers going, "Come here, I'm using you as a bit of a reward here." I've told them if they win this competition, that they're going to come down to you and you're going to help them do a TikTok. And I was like, "Sure, look, if it helps you with a class, I'm no no bother at all." <laughs> yeah, they are. Listen, good to talk to you, and you're off now for the Easter and enjoy, uh, Tiger Donovan. Teach with Tig on TikTok. They're fun. There's a teaching side of it, and then there's the fun side of it. The fun side is just plain daft. But I guess if you're if you're in school, you get it. Um, it they're eight, like they're five, eight, ten seconds of shoot, they're gone. Like before you before you know what you're looking at. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Handbag gate. Generating a bit of conversation now. Get back to your comments in a minute. People now are like, why would you be a habit? Get to it. I just wouldn't do it anyway. My wife asks me for something out of her bag. She she gets the bag. 
simple as uh, I'm, and it's a privacy thing I respect her privacy I'll come back to it though I will 0818 96 96 96 we got a message in yesterday from a listener um, and I read it as we got it and then we might be able to get some help I'm 42 with three kids when I turned 40, I wanted to get a full health screening, including cancer screening, etc., just to keep on top of my health for my family and my kids. I found it very hard to get a service to fulfill my needs, my needs. So I ended up just getting bloods and a general checkup in the end. Is there any kind of a screening service that you can get screens for say the most common cancers or or things like that at a certain point? In your life, I would have thought a general health checkup would cover most of that, but I think the person wants to get scans and stuff as well. Let's bring in Dr. Monica Oikay. Monica, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, PJ. Good to catch you again. Um, Is there anything like that that you know of? And you're a GP here in the city. Is there anything that you know of where a person can get a kind of a comprehensive screening like that? As far as I know, in Ireland anyway, we don't tend to do things like that. We're more uh, symptom orientated and also uh, according to your risk factors. So if that person had come to me and said, okay, um, okay, uh, I'm 42, maybe my bowels are off. My my brother had maybe like bowel cancer a couple of years ago and aunt there had something like that. That would trigger me to, okay, going down the line, okay, should we like maybe test your poo and also refer you on for like uh, um, camera screens, like a colonoscopy or something like that. So depending, that was dependent on her history. So we focus it that way. That yeah. There are scans that, yes, CT scans can pick up things, but it kind of depends on your risk factors and also your um your your your, your symptoms as well yeah. uh, usually when people come for their health screens um it's a general checkup we have a chat with you and we also maybe so a 42 year old coming into me okay so how are you doing she's had three kids um how are your periods are you happy with the passion do you need contraception or do you not need contraception? Mm. Do you do a monthly breast exam or not? I, I, is your cervical screening up to date, which some people tend to just leave off because that also uh, can pick up like cervical cancer. Yeah. So, uh, and then we go through that. Then general had uh, advice, like your lifestyle changes. She, um, do you require like bloods? Have you had bloods in the last year or so like that? So I think in Ireland, we are more focused on the patient and their symptoms and their risk factors as opposed to, I don't know, other countries that just literally like scan for everything, which yeah, I don't think yeah, is yeah. practical. Yeah, Because I think if someone, particularly if they start with a new GP in a new practice, like if you're seeing someone for the first time, Monica, and yeah. they say, well, right, I'm 42 and I haven't seen a doctor for quite some time and I'd just like to do a, a kind of a run rundown of my general health. I feel okay, yeah. but I haven't seen a doctor in a few years. Like, is there a yeah. specific set of things that you would do? Yes. So, so personally, I'm most GPs as well. So new patients to me. So I'll ask those questions as well. And then um, I find that most people, <clears throat> when I do ask about the breast exam, they go, oh gosh, I don't do that. Can you show me how to? And I generally like teach, um, teach them how to do a breast exam there. And then we... Uh, then go on, we check your blood pressure as well, which is very important. Um, and then we do your weight, your height, to have your BMI. 
And um, are you a smoker or non-smoker? Do you need an ECG or not? And then we do a set of bloods. And uh, routine bloods usually in Cork anyway, uh, we would test for your your full blood counts. We check your kidneys, we check your liver. Mm. We will also check for diabetes, cholesterol, um, iron levels, and sometimes your vitamin D as well, yeah, depending so you ge- on general your... General markers of good health, you'll exactly, test for those. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah. So there's no point going and doing like a massive scan when you're well um, mm. and there are no risk factors mm. for that. So you'd wait for something to come back and if one of the bloods turns up a bit off or the urine turns up a bit off, or the, then you start looking at the at the scans. Is that what happens? Yes, yes, exactly. And also, um, I, I believe some insurance providers as well, they do do some general health screens for some of their, uh, their clients. So they ring them and then they get like just uh, some set of bloods, get their ECGs. And sometimes that also triggers people to come to us because then their insurance providers um, picks up something on their wellness checks. And then we then follow that up as well. Now, don't get me wrong now, when if your patient wants something and they're insistent on something, there are services available and we will refer you we're not going to be like, okay, my word is final and you don't sure. have this and that like that. Sure. But obviously, it's not something we go looking out for if you do not have any symptoms, you don't have any risk factors and things like that. Mentioned uh, people seeing a new GP for the first time. Just one last one before I let you go, Monica. Um, we hear uh, time and time again that it's very difficult to get onto a GP's books in Cork now. Is there any ease up in that? Is it still very busy? Unfortunately, it's quite busy. Uh, I suppose uh, some GPs have retired and then lots of people have moved in into Cork as well. So it's quite hard to find a GP, but um, there are people, there's still GPs around um, accepting patients. Unfortunately, sometimes as well, um, the, um, even even if you do have a GP, you might be waiting like a week or so to yeah. get seen. But we do try to prioritise very, very acute um, symptoms and um, patients that we need to see and also children as well. So we are trying our best, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So finally, to our listener who, who messaged us, your, your advice would be, I think, contact their GP and ask for just a, a full medical workup. Basically, yes. And also, I, um, if she feels like she just had just blood zones, you can ask what bloods you did have done and are you do another. And uh, is there anything in particular that is actually, uh, you're actually concerned about? Mm. Um, and as she had her uh, um, a cervical screening that is meant, she's meant to be having, is she up to date with that and things like that? So if she's held, had all that and she does... Um, Live a healthy lifestyle as we all try to do. Uh, yeah, so things should be okay. Okay. All right. Listen. Thanks as always, Doctor Monica. Okay. Uh, Blondie prayer as she as she goes by on her social. She's on TikTok. She's great on TikTok, Monica. Okay. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Call your GP, assuming you have one. Call your GP and say, "Listen, I haven't had a good workup in a couple of years." Can you book me in and do the usual kind of thing? And if anything turns up then that waves a flag of any colour, red or orange, or even green, they can send you on for for further scans, but that's kind of how it works here. On the side, they're still arguing about the size of families. We had three kids, we'd have loved a fourth, but the last child has additional needs and we had lots of extra spending and services needed. So it just wasn't possible. Lovely to hear Jen talking about her big family and best of luck to her with it.
Antoinette says, I reared my kids, not anybody else. The day I ask someone else to rear my kids is the day, the day they can have an opinion. I've five aged between 29 and 15. Now I wouldn't change my life for the winning lotto numbers. Uh, Tony says, in some cultures, it's a matter of economic survival to have a big family. Indeed, in our own country, it once was. If you grow up in that kind of family, it becomes a way of life, helping each other out when things are down and that feeling of love. Far from being a burden, often they're more self-sufficient from looking after one another. That's a good point, Tony. That's a very good point because, you know, people had larger families and there was three or four kids when they grew up, the fastest they grew up, they were out working and bringing in a bringing in a wage and bringing in some some uh, some money on the handbags. Uh, this is this is this is working well for you. I'd never go in to the wife's bag. I'd always hand it to her. Absolutely, absolutely. My my husband passes my bag to me. Would never go near it. Maybe it's a manners thing, or maybe it's because a woman's handbag is like a, di- a diary or a phone, private. That's from Tricia in London. Where do we got here? A few more. If you go into a woman's handbag, you're compromising the Official Secrets Act, says John. And then I had a slightly, um, I won't say this, this sounds like person was slightly cross with me about this. I'll read it in a sec. Yeah, the Cancer Connect number. People are ringing looking for the Cancer Connect number. 021-203-8525. Call them and tell them what you need. One more time. 021-203-8525. Paul would never go near his wife's back. Always would hand it to her. I'll read the one that sounds a little bit crossword me next. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. This is the lip reading game. Ross is wearing headphones. The music is really loud. He can't hear what I'm saying. He has to read my lips, okay? Johnny Onion Rings. Chicken Underpants. <laughs> Go again. One more time. Johnny Onion Rings. Shina's Underwings. <laughs> Take off the headphones. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. First Skoda in the city. Now taking orders for 221 and always open 24-7 at noeldc.com. 96 Coming up in just a sec, how good are you at DIY, like carpentry and plastering and wiring and plumbing and tiling and all that? How good are you? Can you do the odd few jobs around the house or would you be able to build up your own house? I mean, build your own house as a major, huge DIY project. Owen and Monica did just that. I'll talk to Owen in a sec. But this message that came in... (laughs) PJ, I don't understand what men think is in a woman's a woman's handbag that's so private. If they ask you to go into it, then obviously they're not shy about what's in there. Most of the same stuff can be found in your bathroom cupboard or your junk drawer, and you wouldn't think twice about going in there. If it's your wife and you have children, then most of us will say there isn't a lot left that's private. 
the kids have emptied the bag onto the floor or they've pulled out the one thing you could be shy about and they've asked you what it is in front of everybody else. It's, it's a fair point. Uh, no, I... Uh, it's a private thing. It's a private... Sp- I wouldn't, no, no. I, I get it, I get it. There's probably nothing in there that, that she wouldn't want me to see. Absolutely nothing in there she wouldn't want me to see. Still her space, though. 0818969696. Now, we've all bought stuff from Ikea and and sat there looking at the boxes and looking at the bits and looking at the bags of screws and, and looking at the pictures and going, I am never going to get through this. Never. And we do. But imagine if you did it with a whole house. Now, not necessarily an Ikea project, but definitely a Swedish home, a kit from Sweden. Owen Kelly, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, I suppose cards on table on yourself and, and Monica would be handy at the old DIY anyway, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, sure. We we turn our hands to most things and we, we do enjoy DIY, but we'd never really take anything like this on. <laughs> you literally bought a kit from Sweden. And tell me what happened then. Um, yeah, so the, the, the company is based up in Galway, but they manufacture their houses in Sweden. Uh, they've been at it since 91, and they've built about 350 houses in Ireland. But most of those houses, they, they build because they're built in the Galway area. Um, outside Galway, they just do what's called a shell. So that's like a, a foundation and the outside walls of the house and some materials are given to you to finish the inside. Um, and most people get companies to finish the shell. Uh, but we said, you know what, we'll give it a crack and see how we get on. Um, so that was pretty much it. They, they came, uh, they poured the foundation, um, which is a, an insulated foundation to keep the cold away from getting into the bottom of the house. And they put up the outside walls, which um, already come with triple glazing and loads of insulation and airtight doors. And then they lift in materials. So they lift in enough wood to build all your, your walls and your joists and your structural floor, your internal doors, your ventilation system, your Velux windows, even things like your skirting and your coving. Um, and then what they do is they put the, the structure of the roof on over that and they give you a key and they go, best of luck. So you basically, basically you're buying an enormous three-dimensional jigsaw. You, you didn't mention heating. The house is not heated. How on earth do you build a house without heating in Ireland, Owen? That's um, a really good question. So... Um, the house is designed to retain heat. Now, not just heat, it, it's it's very well insulated. So in the wintertime, it retains heat. In the summertime, it keeps the heat out because um, insulation works that way. It's not just about keeping heat. Um, now, full disclosure, we do have electric underfloor heating in our bathrooms mm. only, but we've never really needed it or used it. So the house is, is constructed, I would say, um, conservatively of about 30% insulation. Um, so all the walls have about um, three quarters of a foot of insulation in them. Um, the roof has about half a metre um, and that actual insulation in the roof is made here in the marina. But it's a, a foot and a half thick. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, and it's made from old newspapers, so it's really environmentally friendly. Um, so a company down the marina does that. And it, like they said, the day that went in, you could feel the change in the house go from just being something, you know, constructed to being almost a home in terms of warmth and heat. Wow, wow. Now, 
in terms of the, the stuff like getting, obviously, the, the electrical in, you, you did get specialists for that because you have to anyway. You can't just wear up a house yourself. You did plumbing and yeah, exactly. stuff like that. You, you see, now, the, it's all computerized as well. Now, again, in, in a previous life, you used to repair computers and people used to call you the surgeon. So, so you know your way around a computer. But the whole thing works off pads on the wall and stuff. Yeah, um, so it sounds very futuristic and like Star Trek, but um, the price of all this stuff has come down in a big way. Like, you know, five years ago, if you wanted to get a smart bulb, it was 50 euros. Now you can get them in Ikea for four. Um, So it's a lot cheaper to do this stuff. So we have everything in the house automated from lights to blinds and security cameras and appliances. And we can do that with our voice commands or tapping on our phones, even if the internet goes down. Um, it, it still does it in the house. But the idea behind that wasn't to be showy or anything. It was just to save energy. Yeah, explain um, how that works. Because there's no point having lights on. Yeah, yeah. you have the lights on where you want them. So literally you're leaving, the, you're leaving a room and your lights off, lights are off, blinds down, blinds are down. The house does it for yeah, you. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Um, that's exactly it. So, like, we, we have our lights come on at, um, they don't come on at 100% like you have with a, a normal light switch where you, you've all or nothing and you're burning loads of energy or you're burning no energy. Um, like, if we're watching a movie, we'll we'll have the lights automatically set a scene, close the blinds, stuff like that, um, and, and turn the lights way down. We only run the lights at about 30% because it's nice that way. It's kind of ambient. But it mm. saves a lot of electricity. Yeah. Now, you have an electric car and the house charges it. It does, yeah, it does. So we, we've got uh, solar panels on the roof um, and we generate about 70% of our electricity in the summer and somewhere between 30 to 40% in the winter. Mm. Um, so we've got, um, the way it works is we've got the panels obviously generating power. So today, um, looking at it now, it's generating right now about three kilowatts, and, but the house is only using one. Um, so there's two kilowatts left over. And we can choose to put that into uh, a smart immersion to have free hot water, or we can put it into a, a battery that's in the house here. So when the sun goes down, um, you can still run the house in free electricity that just got dumped from the solar panels into the battery, or we can just dump it into the car. Um, so we've three choices of what we want to do with it then. Oh, we were talking about electric or um, solar panels a couple of weeks ago in the program. We raised the, the subject of, of the batteries. Like if you get a, a hot sunny day, in Ireland, and thankfully we do yeah. get a few. You get a hot sunny day in mid-July and your battery is fully charged. How long will that run for? It depends on the battery size, um, like like any battery. Um, so we, we've got a particularly big battery here. So um, we uh, two weekends ago, I think we had like a, a weekend of loads of sun. Um, we were off-grid completely from the Friday until the Tuesday. What? Four days? Yeah. Without spending a cent on electricity. Or hot water. This must have cost you an absolute fortune to do, did it? Um, Yeah, so solar panels aren't cheap. Um, There's no point in pretending they are. Um, But um, there's a couple of things that I think people always talk about with solar panels. You know, the the first thing that comes into everybody's head is, right, how long is it going to take for the panels to pay pay themselves off? Um, I would have said it would have taken us six years, maybe seven to pay it off, but then the price of electricity went bananas. So it's probably going to pay off a little bit quicker. Um, But the thing that people, uh, I think a lot forget when they're adding solar panels to their homes is, you know, you're also increasing the value of your home. Um, So, you know, you're, you're adding a cost, but you're also increasing the resale value of your home as well. So I think both those arguments are valid, but I think, yeah, it's going to take a couple of years to pay it off, but 
Um, in the meantime, the bills are going down and more and more houses are, are getting solar panels all the time. Like our neighbours here put up a, a, a nice big array next to us. And, you know, they're, they're loving that as well, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm amazed at the at the no heating bit. I think that's the biggest that, that that's the biggest win that the house manages its its temperature so well that that you have um, you no need for heating. Yeah, so we, literally we we sit on the the couch at night in shorts and t-shirts about forty five weeks of the year, um, and then if it gets a bit colder, then for the other seven weeks we either put on normal clothes. Um, but we do have um, we do have a wood burning stove in the house. It's it's a high efficiency one that's fed from the outside to make sure we're not pulling any air from the room. And if we put that on, like literally one hour is enough, and then the house is warm for the evening. That's good. That that's absolutely gas. Oh, and I I I know I've been you you have invited me out to see this place on, on more than one occasion. Hopefully, I'll get there uh, soon enough because I want to see the music room. <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome, PJ, anytime at all. Uh, anytime at all. All right. Give my uh, best. We'd love to have you out. Give my best to Monica and uh, good luck with the, with the home. They built it out in Dunamore. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And the, the, he, I don't know Monica very well, but they, she did loads of DIY and they had friends in to help and brothers and sisters in to help. But Owen Kelly can turn his hand to anything. He's an incredible bass player. He's a genius with computers. And he does about five or six different kinds of DIY like in his sleep. Very modest fella. The house is gorgeous. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Imagine that. No heating in Ireland and they sit around for 45 weeks of the year in shorts and t-shirts. Now that's what you call insulation. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie When we're enjoying Elton John in Dua Lipa, are you getting a cold heart? Has our love for Dermot Kennedy made you hope better tunes are coming? Give me what I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100-euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. C96FM.ie All going well. In in less than 100 days, I'll be heading off on me summer holidays for the first time since uh, 2020. I'll be... Uh, 2019, I'll be heading out of the country and I've all booked and packaged away. I've said that before. But lots of people are making their plans right now. Uh, but getting to the sun for the first time in a couple of years. And you might use a site like, like Trivago or you might use a site like Love Holidays, or you might use a site like Ocado. And they're perfectly good sites. But there's a catch. And consumer journalist Sinead Ryan has been looking into this and is advising people to use traditional travel agents rather than going to those online operators. She's been talking to me about it. Sinead, we're talking here about legitimate businesses operating completely above board until you land yourself with a problem. Go through it for me. Indeed. What most people don't realise is that there are very, very strong rights for consumers in the travel business, both from the aviation regulator, which covers flights and airlines, uh, but also from the Irish Travel Agents Association, uh, which are bonded travel agents. And and, um, it's very, very easy to deal with them and you'll get huge protections from them. 
Where the problem lies are these what are called OTAs, they're online travel agents. A lot of them are not based in Ireland, indeed most of them aren't. Mm. They're based in the UK or in some other European countries, but the UK ones are particularly problematic, not because they're not above board, but because they don't fall in to the EU travel directive, because obviously Britain is no longer in the EU. So if something goes wrong, if there's a holiday cancelled or your accommodation doesn't up to scratch or something's gone wrong along the line, it, it can be incredibly difficult to get any redress from them or indeed your money back. Now, Ryanair during COVID, there was a lot of, of uh, people given out by Ryanair that they weren't making refunds for flights booked or transfers. In a lot of cases, they actually were, yeah. but they were making refunds to these OTAs from where people had booked flights. Uh, but the OTAs weren't passing them on and then people got confused and thought it was Ryanair wasn't giving them their money back and all that. They really are best avoided. Mm. Um, and the safest way, if you're going on a holiday this year abroad, the absolute safest way way to do that is to book through a bonded ITAA Irish travel agency. If anything goes wrong, you are completely protected. Because you have rights, obviously, covered by the ITAA. You have rights under European law. Now, there's plenty to be found on these sites, and we can use names if we want to. They're all, so many of them are household names. So you'll find a bargain, and were you suggesting that find the bargain and then try and contact the hotel or the airline directly and get it for yourself? I always like doing direct bookings like that. Now, you know, it, the strongest possible legislation applies through a bonded travel agent because the agent themselves is obliged to sort you out if, you know, you rock up and your accommodation isn't there or it's not what was expected or the, you know, something goes wrong with the transfer or anything like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with booking a DIY holiday yourself. You hop on Aer Lingus or Ryanair, you mm. book your flight. Then you go on booking.com or Airbnb and you book your accommodation. No problem with that. Lots and lots of people do it and you can get great bargains from doing that. Mm. Uh, the problem is where something goes wrong, those organisations and the other ones, I mean, look, there's loads and loads of them out there. Travago and Ocado and um, Kayak and mm. Love Holidays, loads and loads of them. They're all legitimate businesses. The problem is it can be really difficult to access them if something goes wrong and you need it in the there and now. I mean, mm. you don't want to be thinking, having six months when you come back to try and sort all this out. That that seems to be where the problem lies and it can be very difficult. Where they are based in the UK, it's just even more difficult again uh, because they don't have to abide by the laws that are there. If you had been dealing with a, a UK site over a number of years, as I have, for example, booking accommodation, have things changed in terms of Brexit then? Well, the change is that they no longer have to abide by EU laws. Now, a lot of them may have been doing this voluntarily. They were certainly doing it during the transition period because that was the rule that they signed up to during the couple of years of transition. But that has ceased now. So really, there is no requirement. Now, the UK, of course, has their own uh, travel rules and mm. they have their own travel agency bodies. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if a company decides, look, we're not going to honour European travellers or tourists because we don't have to, well, then they don't have to. And, and therein lies the problem. Yeah. Is the DIY holiday, book your own flight, book your own accommodation, book your own transfers, you, you will save money. And if you take out travel insurance, you're covered. Is it still a bit risky, Sinead? 
It can be a bit risky. Now, listen, you can't get a bargain. I, there's no evidence, by the way, that booking through a travel agent is more expensive. I know a lot of people inherently believe that it is. But yeah. in fact, in a lot of cases, a travel agent will have booked 100 beds or four hotels. And, you know, they have to get rid of them as well. So very often they'll offer discounts. Uh, but if you book a, a, dynamic, a, a DIY holiday, no problem there, except if something goes wrong, let's say you can't travel at all. Well, then you have to deal with the airline all by yourself. You have to deal with the accommodation all by yourself. You have to deal with an insurance policy, maybe if you've lost bags or, you know, something went missing on your holiday or you had an accident. So each element just becomes separated out. Uh, and, and there's just a little bit more legwork to do. Mm. There's no problem. And a lot of people find that they're perfectly OK with that. that. That did happen to me in 2020. I'd booked a DIY holiday, as I have been doing for years. And of course, then COVID had different ideas and I had to go to every element of it separately. Now, I got my money back in the end. It was a nightmare to get the flight money back, but I got it. People will go back to travel agencies, do you think, post-COVID, just in case stuff goes wrong? Well, a certain people will. Now, some people won't really mind. I mean, if you're the kind of person that says, look, do you know what? I just want a quick weekend away in the sun somewhere. I'm not fussed about where I go. Happy to hop on a flight and head off and I'm in good health. Well, knock yourself out. You'll get a great deal, uh, certainly at the last minute. However, if you were, say, an older person or you had an extended family group or you were bringing children, anything of which could scupper you along the way, I would tend to be a little bit more careful and go for that package holiday. And that's what the Competition and Consumer uh, Protection Commission, the CCPC, recommend uh, because, you know, you've just somebody else to do the Mm. heavy lifting um, along the way. And that can help. Now, that said, PJ, I wouldn't be going anywhere without travel insurance. I think it's never been more important to have it. And and here's the, the important thing. When you book your holiday, that's the time to take out the travel insurance, not on the way to the airport, mm. not two days before you mm. go, because that's far too late if something goes wrong. You wanted to pack in before the holiday, uh, mm. if it turns out that you can't fly for yeah. any Generally, I buy mine in around this time of the year for going on holidays in the summer, and I must be buying it any one of these days coming now. But I think a lot of the providers, insurance providers, have added in a clause whereby for a consideration, you get a bit of extra COVID coverage. Have you noticed that? Well, a lot of them are now covering it as standard, which is great to see. There was some hesitancy clearly at the beginning, understandably, you know, in 2020 when nobody knew what this was going to mean and where people, uh, how people were going to manage through it. But I have to say most of the insurers now are really good. They have included it. uh, And it means then if you can't travel because of COVID, now as long as you purchased it at least seven days or in Mm. some cases 14 days in advance, okay, no last minute there, uh, that you will be covered, your, your holiday will be taken care of. Again, just check out how you've booked and where you've booked. Because if you've already paid money, let's say to a private uh, apartment owner, uh, you, you are going to have problems getting that back. So it could be that because you've booked with a hotel or a known resort, that'll be less problematic. Uh, so I would check out that clause uh, and make sure you have it. Make, make sure you've got your insurance well in advance of the date you've got to pay your balances. Yes, Exactly. Now, for people who have travel insurance, about 89% of those who make claims are successful Mm -hmm. when they do Mm -hmm. because the clauses are very clear and it's certain what you're covered for. Uh, Now, some people think, okay, I've got private health insurance. Maybe that's enough because it might cover medical treatment abroad. Well, yes, but what it won't cover is your bags going missing, a companion to stay with you, um, maybe something COVID related. Uh, So, 
there is a little bit of overlap between those coverages. Uh, but it, uh, honestly, travel insurance is so cheap to buy nowadays. It's going to be one of the lesser elements of your holiday and it's well worth having. I was actually going to make that point to finish up. You'll, you'll get a, a family for a hundred quid. Oh, you'll get it for 50 if you're travelling in Europe, you'll have a family of four will be covered for the whole year for 50 quid. Wow. Um, I, I mean, you really, it's it's cheap as chips and, you know, it, it really is going to be a, an important element of it. Those multi-trip policies that you buy for the whole year are cheapest of all um, because you, you only have to do it once. You can forget about it. Yeah. Uh, the only time I'd say to people to upgrade their cover and be really careful about it is if you're travelling to the United States because we know what the medical bills over there are like yeah. uh, and you'll need special cover for that or if you're going off the beaten track like a backpacker or you're going to Australia or you're a student there's all the different levels of cover for that and, and I would get the best that you can afford Coming back to where we started finally Sinead buy here in Ireland and make sure your provider is covered by European law I think is very important Yes, uh, uh, like a bonded travel agency, a known name uh, and making sure that, that they are going to look after you from door to door, which mm. is really what you want. That's the ideal. Um, and and I would advise people where possible, um, certainly if they're spending a lot of their hard earned money, they waited two years to travel, make sure you do it uh, as safely as possible. It's just getting exciting to be able to travel again. So, so thanks for being with us today. No problem. Thanks. That's Sinead Ryan. The travel insurance is very, very important. And like she said, it's it's dirt cheap. There's lots of people doing it online now, so have a look around and you'll find it. Sean says, not only do you not have travel industry protections or ombudsman protection if you're dealing with UK agents, your solicitor isn't insured to deal with them either and must retain a British colleague, which makes everything amazingly expensive, even for the simplest thing. You're right, Sean. That having been said, I've been renting... Uh, my accommodation when I go on holidays now, I, for about the last six or seven years, from the same British company, I was doing it pre-Brexit and post-Brexit. I booked my flights with Ryanair or, Ingl- or Aer Lingus, whatever. But I booked from this company in the UK for since pre-Brexit and nothing has changed. In 2019, when I had to go and get my money back, they gave me back every cent without question. So, you know, some of them are better than others, to be fair. 0818969696. Experience Ed Sheeran twice in Cork and Paris. With Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. When you're closer, give me Cork's 96 FM. Yep, he's coming back to Leaside. And we want to send you and a friend to see him. Not once, but twice. Send you to Parky Cueve on the 29th April. And then... In the summertime, City of Love, Paris. You'll see Ed again on July 30th. How it works, you start listening to Course 96 FM from Tuesday morning next. Tuesday, April 19th, between 7am and 7pm. Every time we play an Ed Sheeran song, you need to text a WhatsApp for your chance to win. And you win it all. Flights, accommodation, spending money, tickets to experience Ed Sheeran. Not once, but twice. Once here in Cork, end of the month, and then... In Paris on the 30th of July. And it's all with Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, no just shopping. It's what they do best. And this is only on Cork's 96 FM. The qualifying starts Tuesday. 0818969696. Eugene was listening to Owen talking about his house. <laughs> he said, I'd love to be working in IKEA. 
in the factory. I just stick in an extra screw or two to get people wondering what they've forgotten. You wouldn't need to, Eugene. There's always about four or five screws left over. And you are always wondering, what did I forget? 0818-96-96-96 to finish us out. Um, we mentioned holidays and talking to Sinead about holidays. Glamping has really taken off. And um, at least to kind of the unofficial start of holidays... And the Araglin Animal Sanctuary and Glamping is very busy. Annabelle Boyle, good morning. Good morning, PJ. You're very busy down there for Easter. We are, yeah, we are busy, um, which is great. Um, I suppose with the, the benefit of glamping over camping is that if it is lashing rain, you don't have to arrive and put your tent up. Everything is there. Yeah, but it's still for you. My my missus would say it's still a tent, and we will still get wet. Is that true? Oh no 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 no. Well, not not in our case anyway, because they're they're shepherd's huts. Oh, so you have a proper, very comfortable double bed, a little kitchenette, and an ensuite. Okay. So um, yeah, there's no roughing it at all. <laughs> How is it so had become so popular? Because there's glamping pods or places all over the country now, and they're really popular. They are. I suppose. I suppose there's, there's a few different reasons. The first one, obviously, the pandemic forced people to holiday at home, mm. um, and I think also when you're travelling with children, like you were talking earlier about airport chaos and everything, mm. you know, you can actually turn the the journey to your holiday into a bit of, you know, the holiday starts as soon as you get into the car rather than three hours waiting at the airport with the kids screaming and bored. Needing the first full day to recover from the trauma of the airport, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I suppose it's lovely for couples and families that it's a very relaxing experience. Um, And I think, you know, people in Ireland have have realised what a beautiful country it is yeah. and how you know many how many different things you can see while staying in the one spot without travelling very far at all. So in your own case, um, is the glamping yeah. near the animals? I mean, is that... Are they, are they close oh, together, yeah. Right? They are, yes. So we've 20 acres all together, um, but you're very much amongst the animals. Yeah. I mean, they you know, they are, they do have their enclosures. Of course. <laughs> um, but... But yeah, I mean, you 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 can, you know, you do you do have to enjoy animals to stay here. Yeah, I will say that. Yeah. Um, but um, like what what have you yeah. got? What animals do you have? We have wolves. So you would be wake, woken up by the howling of wolves. So if that's not for you, um, <laughs> but that's actually what people love about here. Okay. We've got we've ring-tailed lemurs, we've wallabies, we've emus, we've loads of little pygmy goats. Brilliant. Um, yeah, we've we've loads of loads of different things. We've marmoset monkeys. Ah, um, like a little yeah. safari down there in Araglin. It's great. Really. Yeah. Uh, your line is cracking up on me. So, if anybody wants to look into the summertime, I, I, you're very busy for Easter. But if anybody wants to book, where can they find you? Ah, she's dropped off the line. Annabelle Boyle of Araglin Animal Sanctuary and Glamping. I'm sure you'll find them if you go look for them. Uh, Glamorous camping is what glamping came from.
And there's some <laughs> look up, look look it up. Just look up the images from around the world on Google Images, and you'll see the kind of stuff that you can that you can rent. But very popular, and they're very busy for Easter in Araglin Animal Sanctuary. Oh, she's back. Is she there? I, we're we're done. I think pretty much. Uh, I take her quickly on line one. Annabelle, sorry. If if anybody's looking you up, what's the best place to start? Okay, so you can find us on Airbnb. Nice. Or and it's kind of it's under Perfect for Animal Lovers, or you can go to our website, which is araglin-glamping.com. Okay, all right, that's where people can start. Thanks a lot for that. Um, up against it with time, Annabelle Boyle, and have a good season. And um, Arab araglin-glamping. Arab-glamping.com. You'll find them. You'll find. Them. You'll find. Them. 0818969696. I'm just trying to see have I anything, everything done because I'm out of here for a couple of days. Oh yeah, my wife keeps a receipt for everything she ever buys in a handbag for 12 months. She bought a carpet eight months ago and she got a letter last week to say the carpet hadn't been paid for. Mortification. But there she had the receipt in the bag. So they were wrong. She was right. See? You never know what's in them handbags. All right, that's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. That's me done for the Easter. Uh, Fiona's here tomorrow and Friday. I will talk to you Tuesday and she'll be back with you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.